Well, hello. Welcome to the Simply Country podcast, Amanda. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Will you tell our audience who you are and a little bit about your story? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be on your show. And um, my family ranches in South Dakota. Uh, I We raise limousine cattle and we have four kids that we homeschool on our ranch. And uh, we just love the love the lifestyle and, and love the opportunity to connect with like-minded people. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. And what is your social media handle that we can follow you on? Yeah, folks can find me on Instagram or Facebook, just at Amanda Radke. Okay. And that is R-A-D-K-E for those who are listening. Perfect. Okay. So you are raising limousine cattle and why, why that breed? Sure. Uh, so for people that maybe are outside of agriculture, uh, one thing I've told them is, you know, just like there's breeds of dogs that have different traits, uh, there's breeds of cattle that have different traits. Uh, so the limousine breed comes from France and they were very well known for being heavy muscled and, and leaner beef. And it's something that my dad and grandpa got started in in the 80s uh, as these cattle were coming to the United States. And and so it's just sort of a family tradition, but we love the breed and uh, they're very docile team animals. Um, they're both red and black hided and uh, they really match well to our South Dakota countryside. They're very hardy, uh, handle the winters well and handle the heat of summer that South Dakota has to offer. Yes, definitely. Yeah, you guys have some some um, harsh winters, and <laughs> we are originally from Idaho, and so we're kind of up okay. in the north like you, but um, now that we live in Oklahoma, we don't have as, stir- as stark as the winters, <laughs> so I bet you guys yeah. are doing a lot of feeding these days, right? Yes, yes. So uh, no grass grows right now, obviously, in our winters, and so doing a lot of uh, feeding hay bales and uh, um, dragging straw cattle to help them keep warm as they're bedding. And, you know, I, I like to tell the story because it seems like a lot of people want to move to South Dakota for a wide variety of reasons at the moment. Uh, but I always tell them the weather is pretty extreme. And so in 2019, we had blizzards that ran all the way into May. Oh and at, in, yeah, and in April, my kids so desperately wanted to go play on the swing set. And yeah. I said, okay, bundle up and go play. And they came in from the snow and the wind and they had ticks on them also. And I thought, we live in the craziest, worst place ever if it can be blizzarding and the ticks are out at the same time. Oh so we definitely get the extremes and uh, I, it takes a little toughness to weather through some of that here in South Dakota. Yes, definitely. Yeah, everything's hardy out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Amanda, will you tell us a little bit about your journey on how you are getting to the place that you're at? Because you have um, an online presence and where you're sharing all about um, agriculture. You're sharing about how you're a book author, homeschooling, and your passions for graphic tees. Will you tell us a little bit about all of that? Yeah, you bet. Uh, So my husband and I moved back to my family's ranch uh, in 2010, and we've just slowly been building our herd and and growing our acres and and how we can operate. Um, We sell purebred cattle, so we sell bulls and heifers to other producers. And then um, in the last couple years, seeing the demand of people who want to stockpile their beef in their deep freezes, um, we've started selling beef off the ranch too, which has been a fun family project. 
Um, but with the cattle business, it is so capital intensive that it requires both of us to have off farm jobs uh, like 80% of farm families do. Uh, so my husband works as a farm manager and a real estate agent of you know pastures and fields. And then I, I wear a lot of hats. Uh, so I write children's books and, and speak at agricultural meetings. And um, yes, the pandemic led us to homeschooling, which has been a wild change of pace for our family. And then when the pandemic hit and I was no longer able to go read my books at elementary schools and speak, um, I needed to find some new revenue streams. And so I expanded my website and started selling t-shirts that have um, farm messages on them. And it it's kind of blown up to my surprise. Um, but what I've realized is, is that people can be kind of shy talking about agriculture, but if there's a message on a t-shirt, it can spark up a conversation. And so I like to wear them whenever I'm out and about. And it's been amazing to see the people that walk up to me and want to learn more about agriculture simply because of my t-shirt. Wow. That's cool. Well, it was, what's your most popular graphic tee that sparks attention? Oh man. Well, I have so many that just say beef on them. And then my husband says like, who buys that? It's so aggressive, you know? And, and I say, you know, I, I meet cattle women across the country who are very passionate about the beef that they raise. And it seems to be the most effective way. So right now I have one that's kind of a cream colored with black and brown um, paint splattered on it. And it just says beef. And yeah, it seems to be very popular at the moment. That's awesome. Do you make your own um, t-shirts? Do you use a drop shipping? How, how is how is your product created? Yeah. So I work with a printer. It's all done. All the shipping is done out of my house. Uh, so it, as it's expanded, a lot of late nights uh, and early morning shipping. And I've finally gotten some helpers now that we're homeschooling too, to help me uh, package orders because my site has, I now carry on uh, turquoise and cowhide items and Western things. And and so it's just been kind of a fun, creative outlet. Um, I work as an egg journalist and write for Beef Magazine, which is very serious. And we focus on regulations and politics and that kind of things. But I'm also a creative person. So this has been a really fun way to use my creativity in a, in a way that also allows me to be at home with my kids and, and work on our ranch. That's wonderful. And so you do, you have your, your fingers in a lot of different places on um, a wide variety of things. So speaking is a huge part for you as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So I travel the country speaking at agricultural meetings about, like I said, the political landscape, regulatory pressures, uh, consumer trends and, and what people are seeing. And and right now in the last couple of years, I've been encouraging producers. The pandemic has been really hard on people. And so just trying to help them make lemonade out of lemons and, and looking for creative ways that producers, whether they're big operators or very small, um, how they can thrive and, and go earn a premium for the products that they're they're raising. And so trying to walk people through some really tough times and, and get to the other side feeling optimistic has been a big focus. Well, let's touch on that for a second, if you don't mind. What is some of the messages that you share and advice that you would have to someone who's listening who's in that same boat as you were just speaking of? Sure. Uh, so sometimes in agriculture, we're so rooted in tradition that we, you know, we're like a big oak tree with roots that run really deep and a, you know, big sturdy trunk that keeps us very solid. Um, but we forget that we have to bend with the wind at times. And so I give examples in my speeches of ways people are being innovative and creative and they're being willing to pivot their businesses 
Uh, so a great example in South Dakota, when the pandemic hit, there weren't tourists coming and a lot of our wineries uh, were, you know, really struggling and they transitioned to making hand sanitizer, you know, never in their wildest dreams. Would you think that that's what you would be doing if your specialty is grapes, yeah. you know? Wow. And, and so, yeah. And, and, you know, we saw that with like car dealerships that went to making ventilators mm -hmm. or, um, so many producers that went to selling their produce and their meats and their dairy products, you know, straight off the farm or locally because the grocery store shelves were empty. And so there was, there's some real opportunities there. And, and then I talk about ways that we can connect and serve and lead with positivity in the world is so negative right now. I mean, between politics and the pandemic and man, social media can be rough. And so I always say, you know, we can be that light in kind of a dark world. And if people get to know our hearts in rural America, they're also going to want to buy our products. And so I think it goes hand in hand. Yeah, I think that makes a huge difference. And I, when, like you were saying with the social media, sometimes I like I get off of social media and it's so powerful. Like I almost feel like, oh my gosh. I feel like heavier after I experience like social media because you just you can go down a rabbit hole and then you realize like oh man just some all these people's stories that you know they're experiencing like hardships um, or just I mean there's just a lot of brutal things out there and so it's sometimes it is hard to stay uplifting or it positive is. definitely. Yeah. And that's why it's so wonderful to connect with like-minded people like you. Like I, I'm so happy we've gotten to connect because um, it just adds joy to the experience instead of that heaviness. And a lot of that heaviness comes from activists. You know, when you start sharing about your life in animal agriculture, there's a lot of trolls. And, and so that can be very hard. Um, but then if we can build communities to support one another in our efforts and in our storytelling, um, it makes it so the, the negativity is, is kind of dampened because you know you have a great support system. That's true. How, what would you say to someone who is looking to speak out and looking to ex explain their story, but might, um, are, are a little bit discouraged if they have seen trolls or have experienced, um, you know, the hardships of social media, what would you say to those people? I would say, you know, it takes a tough skin, um, but also I've learned to use the negativity as fuel for my fire because these trolls would love nothing more than for us to just be silenced and to give up and to let them tell our story for us. And so I use it as just like gasoline, like, let's go. I'm going to talk even more loudly and more passionately because uh, it's exactly what they want is for us to not. Um, I would say I don't in interact with the activists. I, I've learned I have to have kind of a firewall um, just to protect my heart. Uh, and so I don't feed the trolls. Instead, I focus on the 95% of folks that just want to know where their food comes from. And um, my default is I'm always going to try to be kind and factual. And I'm not just going to debate and fight with someone on the internet that I would never, ever change their mind anyway. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, sometimes it's just more of um, needing to feel heard um, and not necessarily yeah. that they are in a, wanting a dialogue or wanting a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's no one right way to advocate. You know, I'm going to connect with different people than you would simply because we're unique and we bring different talents and passions and interests to the table. Uh, so my husband and I are foster parents and we've had some amazing opportunities to talk about agriculture with social workers and birth parents and, and all these different circles that you would never think you're talking about stakes with people. I um, mean, that's the same for everybody. Everybody has 
interests outside of agriculture. Now, how can we leverage those to kind of build relationships and build trust, you know, of people outside of our industry? Yeah, that makes sense. So let's go back and touch on how you were saying that you've pivoted yourself um, into mm-hmm. having your consumers experience the the beef that you guys are raising. So how did you mm-hmm. decide to make that transition? And what are the steps that you kind of went into from moving into actually uh, allowing people to fill their freezers with your with your consumed beef? Sure. Uh, So for years and years, my family had sold beef locally just to relatives and very close friends. And as we've grown, um, I've I've realized that I didn't want to take, you know, our the cattle that we weren't selling as bulls. I didn't want to take them to the sale barn, you know, where you're just kind of taking whatever price you're given that day. I wanted to be a price maker. Um, And so I realized that people would pay a premium for a product that they believe in and that, you know, they're not just saying, I want beef, I want your family's beef. And so really it's about, for us, it's been about building a story. And so we kept it, we kept a lot of cattle to feed out here during the pandemic. And honestly, when it came time to sell, my husband kind of chickened out and he said, oh, we'll never get all this beef sold. We should just take it to the sale barn. And I said, Tyler, let's see it through. Let's see what happens. And so our kids got really involved with it. We want them wanted them to have ownership of the business. And they made videos and they talked about their beef and we were sold out within a week. And, and so it was a real testament to, first of all, sometimes we get in our own way when it comes to our dreams. You know, we'll trip ourselves up and say, I can't do that. Uh, but second of all, it was just so awesome to connect with people in our community and provide a solution for them because Beef is really expensive at the grocery store, and here we could provide an economic solution for them. And at at the same time, they could ask tons of questions about the product that they were buying, too. So it was just really rewarding. Yeah. And so then do you... And good job. I mean, good job. You have... (laughs) <laughs> you stuck to your guns and you were, you know, and I love that. That's a, one of those success stories. There's some, like you said, sometimes you have to get out of your own way. So now, um, do you work with a, uh, like, do you package, you have it packaged and then do you house it at your own facility and then you ship it out there? Or um, is it still pretty much local where you call them up and they go and pick them up from the butchery? How, what, what's the back end look like? Yep. So every state is so different on the regulations of what's allowed as far as selling. Uh, So right now we've stuck to selling quarters and halves uh, and working with a a local processor. My husband's family also has a butcher shop. And so um, when we couldn't get dates locally, we were able to work with their shop in Minnesota to get our cattle run through. Um, But we tried to pre-sell just so we wouldn't have a ton of meat, you know, in freezers waiting to be sold. Um, So that was nice. So they could pick it up directly or we could deliver it straight to the families. Um, But I know really great, awesome families that are shipping all across the country and finding great success with it. Uh, That's just one hurdle I have explored yet because honestly, it does seem really overwhelming. The learning curve is is huge. And, And so we're baby steps for now, but thankfully we've had that local demand at this point that we haven't needed to look you know, further down the road. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, that's what I was kind of getting at is that there is a lot of people who are even selling courses now that you can be a part of that will teach you how to overcome those learning opportunities that 
it can be very costly. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's the challenge with agriculture is every lesson can be a very expensive lesson. And so you try not to make the lesson before you've done your homework. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I will say it's, it's really cool to see this trend. Um, I had a, uh, someone I met in an airport 10 years ago from New York City, and uh, we had this great conversation. I was the first rancher he had ever met in his whole life, and we exchanged business cards, and I hadn't heard from him since. And uh, fast forward to this pandemic, they couldn't buy beef in New York City because the shelves were empty. And he emailed me and said, do you ship beef? Oh my and gosh. my first thought was, I wish I did, you know, but I was able to connect him with some friends who were able to get his family some beef during a crisis. Oh and, and that really just got my wheels spinning about we are solutions for people and, and people need us. It's just a matter of making those connections. But first, we have to build that trust mm -hmm. so that they, I know you, can you help me? And, and instead of just, I, I find in agriculture, a lot of times we talk about, well, if the consumer doesn't like what I'm doing or they vote against my interests, I'll go out of business. Well, that's not how we should frame the conversation. The conversation needs to be, we're trying to serve people and here's what we're doing to serve you, you know, the urban soccer mom or whoever it might be that you're, you're targeting in your, your business. That's a great way of putting at it. Wow. Oh my gosh. I have chills. How cool is that? Like somebody's holding <laughs> on to a business cool. card for 10 years. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Then that it's might my, my brain go, Hmm. I don't actually think I have a business card <laughs> or a flyer. Yeah, right? or... <laughs> You need one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's a good point too. I mean, I was talking to someone just, we have, we're in a pretty small town. So the only group, we have two grocery stores, but one of them is Walmart and the other is like a family business um, grocery store. And Walmart's been out of chicken for the last yeah. month and a half. And my, my mm -hmm. husband and I are walking through the grocery store and we're like looking and talking to these other people and they're like, yeah, have you gotten chicken lately? And we're like, no, how about you? And it's like, well, is it ever going to come back? It, yeah. You know, yeah. and so we're having those kinds of conversations all the time. And it's just, it's, things are changing very quickly. And I, I think that's a great idea that you're saying you are able to connect with other people who there's probably a, a wide variety of people who do sell pasture-raised chickens nearby and you just need to be able to connect or have your fingers in conversations with other people who can connect you with someone who may, might do that because we all do eat whether you know in in different avenues you don't have to just eat beef you don't have to eat, just eat chicken and there's other avenues you yeah. can do too so we have a couple of listeners who are like that too and um so we never like to say you know you have to do this that's never the conversation right. but like you said it's serving how can you serve that those people and wherever they're at my husband is um gluten-free and dairy-free so as much as i love okay. ice cream we don't we don't have we don't have a demand in our house for the, the yeah, dairy yeah. side of things but i mean the, the dairy farmers are great at having an avenue of communicating and selling their items as creameries and lots of different things so i think it is important yeah. that we're able to connect locally with the people around us that are doing the hard work of raising animals and different types of products Right. And, you know, I think that's where the opportunities are. So, you know, COVID has highlighted some of the vulnerabilities of our large food supplies chains. And, you know, we're the same way. I couldn't get milk the other day for my kids at the grocery store um, because they were all gone. And it kind of scares you because yeah. it, it really wouldn't take much for us to 
not have what we're used to having in this country. And uh, in a wild turn of events, um, my sister just bought a five acre place that her and her family lives on. They just bought a greenhouse and they are ramping up gardening because we see that there could potentially be shortages out there and they figured they could grow the vegetables and we could grow the beef and we would have our own little supply chain here in, in South Dakota for you know, people in our community. So I I hope the supply chain doesn't crash or anything, but I do see that that could be something to worry about. And at the very least, we're feeding our family well, and and maybe other people could benefit from it as well. So my kids will be doing a lot of weeding this summer. It's probably, it could very well be a flop and a total failure, but um, it's just something that I think, you know, people see that agriculture is these big ranches and they think that's not, that's not an opportunity for me at all. But if you have five acres and a little elbow grease, you can accomplish a lot. And there, there are some cool opportunities out there. Yeah. And we were having a conversation um, with a podcast. Um, we were having someone on our podcast and they were speaking about how, you know, they're, they're, they showed this, their pantry filled with all of these items that they've been learning to can. And I asked her like, oh my gosh, how much, how much land do you, do you farm? And she's right. like, oh, it's like a quarter acre or it's like a teeny tiny, like 10 by 10 greenhouse. And I was like shocked about how much food is capable of being produced just within like a smaller amount of land. You don't need a whole lot in order to sustain your family or sustain your, your street, your neighborhood street. We have somebody who was even just... um apartment living and they were growing you know a ton of food off their apartment balcony and it, I mean it's yeah. it's doable and like you said and you don't we don't want to have those doomsday conversations but it is important to acknowledge that there's it's beneficial for everybody to be able to learn where your food is coming from and as well as just have those open conversations of what if instead of being in the situation where I had to call my mom in 2020 and say can I borrow a roll of toilet paper because I didn't stock up (laughs) (laughs) um my mom bought a significant amount of toilet paper during that time too so if ever I run out I know where to go but (laughs) it must be the generational thing because my mom did the same thing (laughs) Like, oh, I'll be all right. But but truly, too, I think for families, you know, we've the pandemic forced us to simplify a lot of things and mm-hmm. and activities or extracurriculars that I thought were going to be super important for our kids. Now, suddenly I realized there's so many lessons just to be learned out on the land and spending time in nature. Yeah. And it's like I, I maybe took that for granted before, but now I see such richness with it. So if if people have the opportunity to work with their hands and in the dirt and or soil, I should say, and, and grow something or be a part of that system um, or create their own system, that's just really exciting. And I, I think that's kind of how we bring more people to the table too, to be a part of, of this agricultural industry that we love. Yeah, that's a great way of saying all of that. Well, Amanda, is there anything that you would like to share with our audience that would be a lesson or some of your favorite avenues that you would like to share that I haven't touched on our conversation yet? Sure. I'm, I'm sure we could talk all day about uh, food and, and agriculture. Um, I would say, you know, probably one of my biggest passions is teaching kids. And, and that's what got me started writing children's books because I noticed that, you know, Disney movies and cartoons and all of that 
they would make the animals walk and talk and the farmer and rancher would be like the side character or the bad guy. And so I really wanted to highlight the people in agriculture and, and make them the heroes of the story. And so that's why I started writing children's books that were 100% accurate and um, trying to teach kids about where their food comes from. And and so if folks are interested in checking out those books, uh, they can go to amandaradke.com. And uh, I would love it, you know, if, if people are willing to donate to their schools or libraries, because it is really hard to um, go into schools now with COVID, but at the very least, if we can leave a children's story um, for them to read and check out and learn more, it, it feels like there's still a farmer and rancher presence, even if we can't physically be there. Yeah, that's a good point. And I um, I'm a, used to be a fourth grade teacher, and so that's what I've, our, our base has a lot to do with educators, and uh, they emphasize how much agriculture or how much they have a farming unit. And so, like you said, um, having the donations or ability to just continue to have those conversations because it is still in the curriculum that's needed to be able to share. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, you know, like math and science comes alive if kids are learning in the soil or growing something or experiencing, you know, seeing a calf for the first time or whatever it might be, like, that is education and action. And so I love seeing kind of the lights come on with kids when they get an opportunity to learn about nature and where their food comes from. It, it is just truly such a joy for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're, you're right. You, uh, I'm sure you see that with homeschooling is that you're utilizing a lot of math, science, all your types of hands-on learning that is really valuable and um, life lessons that you would need. I mean, we're about to put in a garden and we need to know how much square footage is needed for fencing and all that fun right? stuff. So. <laughs> and it's, it's very much, if you get the answer wrong, you don't get a crop, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's definitely, homeschooling on the ranch has definitely been uh, an adventure, but so many lessons to be learned just outside. And, and so it's been, it's been a fun adventure, even if it's been hard sometimes too. That's understandable. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amanda, for your time today. Um, we hope you guys all learned a little bit about Amanda, where you can locate her, amandaradke.com, um, as well as on the social media side, the Instagram and Facebook. And we're just so grateful for your time. And if you need to connect more with her, please do so, because she's a wealth of knowledge and very positive on the social media side. So thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you.